morning. Let's begin. Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Get ready for a difficult task. Like a man, I will question you, and you will inform me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you possess understanding, who set its measurements, if you know or who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its bases set, and who laid its cornerstone? And when the morning stars sang in chorus, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who shut up the seas with doors when it burst forth coming out of the womb, when I made the storm clouds a garment, and the thick darkness its swaddling band, and I prescribed its limits and set in place its bolts and doors. When I said, to here you may come and no further. And here your proud waves will be confined. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning? Or made the dawn know its place? That it might seize the corners of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features are dyed like a garment. And then from the wicked, the light is withheld and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you gone to the springs that fill the sea or walked about in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you considered the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me, if you know it all, in what direction does light reside? In darkness, where is its place? That you may take them to their borders and perceive the pathways of the homes? You were born before them, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouse of the snow or seen the armory of the hell, which I reserve for the time of trouble, for the day of war and battle? In what direction is lightning dispersed or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who carves out a channel for the heavy rains and a path for the rumble of thunder? to cause it to rain on an uninhabited land, a desert where there is no human beings, to satisfy a devastated and desolate land, and to cause it to sprout with vegetation. Does the rain have a father? Or who has fathered the drops of dew? From whose womb does the ice emerge? And the frost from the sky who gives birth to it? When the waters became hard like stone, the surface of the deep is frozen solid. 
tell me, Job? Can you tie the bands of the Pleiades? Or release the cords of Orion? Can you lead out the constellations in their seasons or guide the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens or can you set up their rule over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Will they say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the heart or has imparted understanding to the mind? Who by wisdom can count the clouds and who can tip over the water jars of heaven? When the dust hardens into a mass and the clumps of earth stick together, do you hunt prey for the lioness and satisfy the appetite of the lions when they crouch in their dens? they wait in the ambush of the thicket who prepares prey for the raven when it's young cry out to God and wonder about for lack of food who is like you God like you. May you be exalted in this place. May you be exalted. You're the Holy One. You're the most holy, the most righteous.
to step out from the invisible who could stand existence came in who could stand who is like this god who speaks
Psalms 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and weep. When we remember Zion and on the poplars in her midst we hang our harps, for there our captors ask us to compose songs. And those who mock us demand that we be happy, saying, Sing for us a song about Zion. How can we sing a song to the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget about you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand be crippled, and may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, and do not give Jerusalem priority over whatever gives me the most joy, Remember, O oh Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. And they said, tear it down, tear it down, right to its very foundation. 
Old Tauter, Babylon, you're soon to be devastated. We declare this today in this assembly. We declare that Zion prevails. That God's people prevail on this foreign soil. We sing the songs of Zion. Sing the songs of Zion. Where heaven and earth come together as one. Oh, Jerusalem, you prevail. Prevail now. Prevail now. Oh, Zion, come down in our midst, holy temple of God.
Listen to what is happening in this event this morning. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. This is real time concerning this nation right now. About the Babylonian system and the Assyrian system being brought down. Micah 7, verse 7. But I will keep watch for the Lord. And I will wait for the God who delivers me. My God hears my lament right now. He hears us right now, and he's here right now. Jerusalem will be vindicated. My enemies do not gloat over me. Though I've fallen, I will get up. And though a righteous man may stumble seven times, he will rise. We speak over this nation right now. The raising up of the righteous in every city, in every town, in every place. Raise up, Lord, the righteous ones to sing forth the song of Zion. Though we may have fallen, Oh, we're getting back up. And though I've sat in darkness, and though I've been even in outer darkness, and though I've been into the deep places, I rise. I rise because of him in me. The resurrected Lord, the Lord, Lord, is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Yes, I've endured the Lord's anger. Yes, we have. For I've sinned against him. But then, he defends our cause. Is there not a cause? up in the nation the heart of the song of the Lord the day of the vengeance of our God he will accomplish justice on your behalf and he will lead you out into light experience firsthand the deliverance of the Lord. And when your enemy sees this, they'll be covered with shame. And they will say to us, where is the Lord your God? And I will gloat over them. And they will be trampled down like mud in the street. For this is the day of the rebuilding of the wall. Now, 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 today, today, off the praises of his people and out of the worship of the Lord, 
I'm going to extend your boundaries now, says the Lord. And in that day, a people will come to you from Assyria and even from Egypt and as far as the Euphrates River and from the sea coast and to the mountains. There will be desolation like we've never seen before. Shepherd your people with a shepherd's rod. For this flock belongs to you, the one that lives alone in the thicket in the midst of a pasture land. Allow them to graze in Bashan and Gilead as they did in the old days. As they did in the days that they departed from Egypt. I will show you miraculous deeds, says the Lord. Well, just like he did in the days of Moses and Elijah, when the theophanic presence of God comes down in the glory cloud.
but alive in me, God of all nations, all the uncharted galaxies, he is spirit alive in me. His righteousness, his righteousness covers me, his love is changing me. His eyes are looking right at me. Oh, flame of fire. Oh, flame of fire. Oh, flame of fire. Be the bush.
hope of glory burning within you. Lift his name, hear it, hear it rise, Hosanna, right in, right into the city, right into the sea, right in, right in. his love he has raised us up we're no longer ours but
Amen. Wow. All right. Good morning. Let's just jump right into the text out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Uh, as you know, this is the way the nature of this ministry. I'm just in the middle of receiving the word as we're in the worship. And so it's taken me a minute to assess what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm believe we've got it captured bear with me as i bring this word out and that it will um the holy spirit that will feed your people and be transformative and that it will be clear to our understanding of what you're saying to us this morning man doesn't live by by every that the word that is proceeding the word that is active and alive that's coming out from the Godhead into you, into your mouth. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth, the word which we speak. And so as the word is proceeding out, that is the word by which we gravitate towards. And God has set a standard of dependency inside of his people in such a way that you must have a proceeding word. It must proceed out of him into you and out from you into the daily conduct of your life. The Lord wants full dependency. And so a lot of the way that economics of this Babylonian, Assyrian, Edomite, Moabite system, Aramean, Ammonite, whatever system, the Egyptian system operates off bread. But God does not operate off that principle at all. I suffered you to hunger in the wilderness so that you would know, right? Man cannot live by that withering. It's going to go away. Anybody been tasting a little of inflation? How fast does it go? Your economy. It, it just, where did it go? And it's just off, it's off the plate. It's gone. And, you know, so when you're seeing a driving up of inflation's driving up on a, a nation, the propensity is and can be that we start to look at that bread and we start to measure it and we start to say, what am I going to do? And we're setting economic expectations and we're measuring it by our own hand or our arm. And I'm not putting this on you. I'm just saying this is the proclivity of man is to make a measurement in it, especially in inflated environments of what, how am I going to adjust to this economy? Because this economy is stretching, uh, is stretching the pocketbook of everybody. So it's real, right? It's real. We're in the midst of it. And, you believe the word of the Lord, and if you do, you know that, according to Scripture, where this is heading is hyperinflation. Why? Man, I didn't even know I was going to get into this. I never do. Because the dollar, which is the reserve currency of the world, has to fail. I didn't want to hear that. Y'all ever feel that like, oh, you know, you feel the feeling of, Oh, my, oh man, my resources and my pressure, and it, what are we going to do? And you're putting the brakes on, you're trying to hold for it, wait for it, 
salvage, butt down the hatches. Let's get ready for it, right? Does anybody else ever experience that? Thank you, Stephen. Honest. I, in my house, it's like a refrigerator was empty one day. And, I mean, full one day, it's empty the next. With six kids, it's just, what happened to it? I don't even like to look at it. Don't look at it because it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. You know, what happened to that two or 300 bucks? Depleted, right? And so when we're looking at, you're looking at Revelation, a loaf of bread for a what? A day's wages. I went in the other day, I was like, $3.47. Who has ever heard of anything? And then I looked over and it was $6.88 for the better bread. And I said, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know. And then the Lord would say to us, you don't live by that. Now, you got to hear this today, and you're going to see you don't, you don't live off that economy. That, you are the sons and daughters of God. That is not where your mind and your heart needs to be tied up. And if it is, if it is circulating in your mind and heart, which I have this sense that it possibly is, because the Lord gave me the text today, And he knows his congregation. And he knows his people. And he knows where the mind and he knows where we go. He wants to demonstrate something to us by his word today to show us a different way of looking and a different way of speaking, a different mechanism of trust. You know what? You, you've heard me say this in uh, Philippians 2. Jesus went for complete self-emptying. Jesus wasn't buttoned down the hatches. He wasn't trying to reserve some kind of currency and hold back just a little bit so that he could see if he could make it through and weather the storm. Jesus is going all the way. In kenosis, the technical Greek word, to self-emptying, I'm going to run it all out. That is not prudent, preacher. That is the nature of the king whom you serve. And he won't even grasp. He said he emptied himself and he did not think it robbery to be equal to God. He made himself of no reputation, meaning that he's not trying to throw his name in lights. If you knew what I was suffering with, what I was going through, you know, you've, you've heard it all. Poor me, or I'm amazing. He isn't doing either one of those things. He's in the middle of, I'm going full for broke. We don't want to hear this. Yes, you do. You want to hear the gospel uh, preached because you need to hear it, and I need to hear it, and I need to say it. That if Jesus wasn't concerned about inflation or recession or depression or anything, he's the very word of God. In John 3.16, God gave what? Everything. The Lord's going for the whole uh, kit and caboodle. He's going for the whole, the whole thing. He's like, I'm going to give everything that I have, the best of what I have, in the middle of whatever economy. I believe that this is the fundamental nature of the gospel. 
And I have watched this and demonstrated in my own family that if, if we, instead of grasping, give and have a generosity of heart at the base of not knowing, not knowing how they're going to be fed, not knowing what we're going to do for fuel, I have watched God the Father demonstrate a thousand times, I'm sure, his goodness to my family. And I am fully convinced, and I believe that the end time ministries will be fully convinced that he is faithful and that he is good and that he will take care of his own children and that God himself might even authorize hyperinflation to demonstrate his goodness to his sons and daughters in the middle of a perverse generation. I've learned that God by oath will actually provide objections to himself. Well, let's run this thing out and let me show you what I'll do. Because by a promise and an oath, he's so sure that you can go out on it, Hebrews chapter 6, and he will take care of you. Stop measuring by what you can do or what someone else can do for you. But get your eyes on the very word of, of the Lord. Because you're not made to live by bread. Yeah. It's not practical. No, it's not. You know, they, they'll come to him in John 6. They'll say, what works would you have us to do? He said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. He tells him, he says, believe on the one whom he has sent. What kind of economic system is that? Economics by trust. Unlimited resource based out of trust. Listen, you either, you either go there or we end up in compromise. And you, you might as well know you're going to, you either manipulate and try to control or you get into a place of trust with him. It's coming. Everybody, hey, it's coming. Well, something more than just that's coming. The king is coming. Oh, man. Tom was saying something to me yesterday about his return. I said, oh, may it be so today, you know. Because when nothing else matters more than him, it, it doesn't matter more than him. He's the greatest treasure. He's the greatest reality of the human heart. He's everything. And we, when we worship him, I think we get a foretaste of the great inbreaking of Jesus Christ coming down. <laughs> Who can compare? 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1. Elisha advised the woman, speaking of the Shunammite, whose son he had brought back to life. You and your family should go up and live somewhere else for a while. For the Lord has decreed that a famine will overtake the land for seven years. So the woman did as the prophet said. She and her family went and lived in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And after seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and went to ask the king to give her back her house and her field. Now the king was talking to Gehazi the prophet's servant, and said, Tell me all the great things which Elisha has done. 
And while Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had brought the dead back to life, the woman whose son he had brought back to life came to ask the king for her house and her field. And Gehazi said, My master, O king, this is the very woman, and this is her son whom Elisha brought back to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she gave him the details. The king assigned a unit to take care of her request and ordered him, give her back everything she owns, as well as the amount of crops her field produced the day she left the land until now. Again, Lord, be with this preaching. Be with your servant, Lord. Help me to speak your word in due time and a due season in a way that really impacts us. In your name we pray, amen. It took me a little bit this morning because I've, I really had to get a little bit of context on this because if you don't understand context, sometimes you, you have a pretext and you, you don't have an understanding of what's going on with this woman in the middle of this situation. And so I, I do the best I can on short notice with the word. You know, he says, be instant in season, out of season. Uh, be ready to, to do whatever I tell you to in the moment, right? And so a little bit of background on what's going on. The Assyrians had perfected siege warfare. Are y'all familiar with this, like siege warfare? What they would do is, and what happened in, in that day, a lot of towns are so-called like city-states or little little places, they would come around into like a locale, normally where they could get supplies, maybe on a trade route, and then water that would be within uh, these Middle Eastern towns. And so what they would do is they would usually congregate and with the resources that were necessary to supply uh, their needs. And so, uh, you know, I don't know all the total economics, but I know that water was probably one of the most important things that a town or a, a small little city-state or a, a little place could have. And they would set up a trade routes, and so they would trade, you know, animals, and uh, they would trade with other places for supplies that they needed, like clothing and uh, food supplies and, you know, things for milk and things like that. And they co coordinate around these towns. And if, if you look at, and I'm, I'm not an archaeologist, I'm not a geologist and all that, but, but if you look at, you'll see like older like maps, you'll see like a little dot, and it'll have like a town that's kind of all come together. And I suppose that you, we may have something similar like today, you know, where you'll see trains, they'll come into like in Saluda where we're at. The train will come through there. They set up a couple general stores. Uh, they set up, you know, different mercantiles and things like that because it was set up on a trade place of trading. Now, one thing, though, that was significant about these towns was because they didn't have, let's say, like a federal government like we do for uh, defense, there was somewhat of like a, maybe like a feudalism of where they would raise up a local governor or someone who would defend and set up an army or set up some kind of defense system and Generally speaking, uh, they would build like walls around their town and they would station sentries on those walls to, so they have the high ground to protect. So you can't just come into our city without some kind of pass, right? And it's really important because raiders and bandits and, I mean, y'all know the stories of like 
the old westerns in the wild west if you watch some of that you know someone's looking to seize upon someone else's productivity and goods and take it from them and and that was what was going on in that day and so a good town would just get a whole fortress kind of built around them and protect their people and their inhabitants and more people would come in you could get more trade going get more of the arts going in different natures of, of people in there and you could have a nice city and what was happening in this day was uh, Sennacherib who was a an Assyrian king he was about going down around these towns and doing what they called siege warfare and they would set up like um, weapons on the outskirts of the city and basically try to penetrate the walls. And one of the, the ways that they did this was they would they could attempt to, if they could, shut down the water supply to the people and shut down their trade and shut down their communication with, let's say, let's say you had another guy who's running his city that's, you know, a couple clicks away that, hey, can you come and do some defense for us? And so Sennacherib had... He had perfected siege warfare. And so, so he's going to shut down. And if you want to shut down something, you shut down supply and communication. That's the way that you close anything off is it shut the comms down and shut the supply system down. And then you can begin. And what they were doing is you starve the people out. And Sennacherib was also a master of um, propaganda. He was a master propagandist. And so he had this guy that would shout over the walls and, and tell them, tell these people, like, break league with your, the guy that's in charge and we'll, we'll spare your lives. And so the, it was really threatening because from the inside, people were afraid. And I want to tell you how threatening it was getting in, that, in the day of this story. And I don't think that any of us can imagine anything of this in this way. Uh, the women were eating their children. And you know that something has to be off in the mind. You, you have to almost, would have to, any of you ladies that have children, you can't, even, you can't even conceive of something like that. I'm sure that you can. But something has to affect you in such a negative way for you to almost go insane, um, would have to go almost insane with starvation and lose your sense to begin uh, taking the life of your own child to cannibalism. This isn't like bread for $3.47. They're going through it. Syrians are all around them, and they're taking one of these places one by one, and they're just wreaking the habit. They'll come in and rape the women and pillage the whole entire city and take all the goods off, and they're going... One after another taking people's lives doing this. Serious. People are afraid. They have a good reason to be. You can't deny that that's not a difficult situation. And one, one of the things that was coming up in my time with the Lord this morning, and, and one thing that the Lord had, has been showing me for, for years, that when God allows Israel to come under the pressure of Syria, there was a reason why this was happening in their nation in that day. Years ago, I had this text presented to me by the Lord because I was like, why does Syria do something like this? And Lord, why are you allowing Israel to just be devastated by Syria? And of course, Syria is going to try to come in on not just the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom as well. 
Why? And this is one thing that I want you to hear this. The Syrian says in his heart. Because you have to get at the mechanism behind what is creating a plight of pressure for God's people if you want to understand why they're going through what they're going through. And this, and this, was the, this is the nature of the Syrian or what God says about the Syrian. He says, the Syrian says in his heart, he's God of the mountain, but he's not God of the valley. The Syrians were able to recognize God in his, let's say, his uh, transcendence. But they didn't know anything about God in his eminence. They could see big picture, but when it came down to it in the daily round, in the household, in the family, in the relating of provision and things like this, and, and the way the life runs for everybody in household, they said, he's not with us in this way. Now, I asked the Lord, I said, so Assyria can attack Israel, Why? He says, because my people have, they believed in big picture me. They believed in my transcendence, but they're not letting me in in the daily round. I mean, many people don't believe in him as transcendent, but I would say many believers, God's people would say, he's amazing and, and we recognize him that way. But something had become divorced inside of them, their own self where heaven and earth would come together. They had went about measuring things with their own hands and their own abilities and their own ways and to do it, their own, their own uh, resources. Thank you. And had lost the word of the Lord. They had got so focused on their bread and so focused on their housing and so focused on it because what had happened was they're like, well, well, we'll listen to God in the big thing, but he can't be with me in the, the little thing, the everyday thing. And so the Lord had allowed, well, I don't like that. The Lord had allowed Syria to come against Israel. And you know that they're going to be carried off into uh, exile, the northern kingdom. Because he was God of the mountain to them, but not God of the valley. The Lord is telling me, you know, my people are coming out of exile. Uh, many of you have been in exile. Uh, I, would I would suggest that the remnant has been in exile for some time. Long periods, uh, long periods of being reintegrated with God's word. You've been learning what it means to come to nothing and worship him in, in a place of worship in your relationships and in your finances and in your health, being brought to the very edge of the realization that I can't do it. There's been long seasons of this for uh, many that are in the remnant. Why? Because you're not made to live by bread alone. You are made for God's word. That God's word is to prevail in your heart. And God's word may present itself to you in a way that doesn't make any logical sense. <laughs> and I, I believe I'm here to testify this morning that we're in the middle of a restoration. 
Because of people are beginning to say he's not just God of the mountains, he's God of the valley. I'm not declaring you, and neither is God, that you're in exile any longer. I was charged by the Lord this morning to declare the restorative, the restoration of all things. I'm not here to declare that we should focus on inflation or hyperinflation. I'm here to declare the word of God to you. I'm here to declare that property (laughs) and provision be restored back to God's people. I'm here to declare that what you've been learning in the place of the wilderness is not where where you're going to stay anymore. That you've been called out of darkness into this marvelous light. I'm here to declare from the Holy Spirit that it's over with. Elisha tells one of the chief guys in this story, he says, look, the bread's going to come for this amount and find flour for this amount. And the guy's like, even if God was to open up the heavens, this will never happen. And he says, because you said that, you'll never eat from it. He said, you'll die. He said, you're not even going to eat the good of the land. This is, this is before this story of this woman that's going to be fully restored, the Shulamite woman. Because of your unbelief, because you've not positioned and believed the word that's coming from the Lord, that God it will open up the heavens and bring blessing to his people and provide for them, you yourself will not eat from this bread. The Lord's going to open up, he said. He's going to open up a place in the middle of this siege warfare, and he's going to provide for his people. I don't believe it. We better just keep the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It's a good sign that we're not going to consume our babies anymore. I honestly believe that. I believe it's because there's a people that are, that have come to Zion. I don't know who they are. I, I don't know all the people in the nation. I, I can't say, but I, I know, I've got to know you. There's a people right now that are singing the songs of Zion. They're singing the song that says heaven and earth comes together. They're singing from a place like that. They're singing, I believe. They're, say, they're saying in their heart, you're, you, you're doing this. You're like, we're not going to hang up our harps in the willow tree anymore in despair and unbelief, but we're singing the song where he's God of the mountain and of the valley. We've been, we've been tested in our homes, have you not? We've been tried to see, do we trust him? And you're, you're saying, I do. And God hears it, and he says, I'll overturn Roe versus Wade so, you don't, so we don't have to bash our babies against the rocks anymore. Because there's provision for them. There's hope for them, for the little ones. They can empty my refrigerator every day. The Lord will take care of it. The Lord, the Lord himself of his word will provide. The Lord will send the raven. 
He has an economy that is based out of his word that trumps any economic thing of men. Babies can be can suckle and babies can be taken care of and babies can be provided for and the orphan can be uh, blessed and the widow can be uh, taken care of and the poor. There's, there's more to go around. There's always more in him. There's always plenty. We're never going to run out. He never runs out. He's, he is all sufficient. You can't run out. You won't. You won't run out of love. You're not going to run out. The word he gave me this week on Monday, I was kind of surprised. He says, you declare to them perpetuity. There's only a few perpetuities that are left on the earth and they're in England. Do you know what a perpetuity is? Do you know what an annuity is? Annuity flows out of a trust fund account. I believe. And out of that trust, there's a constant resource and supply that comes to the trustee or to the one who's the beneficiary of that trust. It has nothing to do with what they do. Nothing. This is declared in Romans chapter 4, where he said, Blessed is the man whom God credits his account apart from works. He said, you declare to them that I set up perpetuity. Perpetuity is a forever annuity. It wasn't enough for the woman just to be given her land. She needed a field. Why? Because you know that it just because you have property, and property is a wonderful thing to have, but you have to have cash flow. It has, there has to be a generation of some kind of liquid asset. Because God knows this, that we need fixed assets and liquid assets to operate our daily lives. An annuity, again, has nothing to do. It's, a it's built out of a trust. In Genesis 15, he'll tell Abraham, he says, I am your benefactor. I am your exceeding great reward. That word in the Hebrew, this benefactor, Years ago, I, I said, what is, the, what is this benefactor and what is this relationship of economy? And, and the Lord, he began to show me, he's like, when I extend a trust fund as a benefactor to my people, it's not just a mechanical asset that I put inside, give to them, that isn't based in relationship. See, a trust fund can be non-relational. Um. I don't know if any of you have been privileged with a trust fund, but you can receive a trust fund and it doesn't necessarily have to be relational. Sometimes it is, but it can be very mechanical. When the Lord says to Abraham, I'm your benefactor, what he's saying to him is, I want relationship with you in the trust. I want to give you my nature and economy. And some have been like, just give me economy, no relationship. And then some have been like, well, we'll just take Jesus for himself. We don't care about an economy. But the benefaction of the Father says, I'm going to give you relationship with me, transform your nature, and give you an economy. 
because he's both divine and human. We're in a series right now, whether you know it or not, but of Christology and anthropology. Uh, or he told me to call it the double helix. He's not just concerned to transfer or impute to you righteousness. He imputes to you his reward. It's called double imputation. He wants to impute to you his nature, which gives you the relationship with him, and in that, provide and take care of you with his reward. His divinity is in his nature, and his humanity is in his reward. And many of the church has been, uh, and the big schism in the church uh, that happened back in like 1054 was a division over divinity and humanity. And God wants them both fully integrated. He wants a transcendence and imminence. He wants a heaven and an earth. He wants a human and divine. Do you see? He wants an incarnation. He wants relational relationship with us. And in that way, he wants to give property and perpetuity. He said, I'll give you your land, your house back, and I'll give you your field so that you can produce. I'll give you both your fixed asset and your liquid asset. Do you see? He said, tell them I have ordained for them, not just what we heard two weeks ago, pardon, exoneration from your debts, but perpetuity. I have ordained a forever annuity for my people. How does it work? You want to know? Do you want to know how this works? Philippians 2. Jesus, who is the king, modeled for us the way his relationship with the Father is. If you want to know how it works, it is not in the seeking of comfort and pleasure. It is by this knowing, this kenosis of waiting and attending to his word, waiting on him. Coming to the end of what you can do. The place of full dependence and saying, I trust you. It's not manipulating and controlling. It's not built out of anxiety or anger. It's out of Shabbat Shalom. It's out of rest and peace. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. My yoke is what? My burden is what? You may be asking yourself, or you may be thinking, I'm not sure. This is not necessarily the testimony of my life right now. I don't know. And I uh, was asking the Lord about this this week, and I said, what do I say? How do I do this? How do I get this across? And he said, if, if they'll trust me, what I'm doing through, what you're going through in your life right now, what he told me what is going on. He said, I'm looking for a base structure that I can build upon. I'm looking for a foundation. When I created man, 
I said, it, it's good. And then sin came in and convoluted everything. Some of you have been in long seasons of deconstruction. And what happens is in your deconstruction, in exile, so many people give up. But all the word was wanting to do was deconstruct down to a foundation that he could build off of, which is namely Christ in you. And my encouragement for you today is, and from the Father, from the Lord is, if you haven't seen full pardon, it's not that it isn't reality. And if you're not walking in complete perpetuity, it's not that it isn't reality. Because Jesus has already paid for all of this on the cross of Calvary for you. It is finished. You say, I don't necessarily have this full testimony yet. The very nature of the gospel and Mike Mason has wrote this is to violently resist anything that that I could add to or take away from what he's, his word has said to me. I'm not going to move off of what he said. So if you were to think of it like that the Lord has something in your soul and he's just wanting to get all this ugly stuff out of the way. And you were, you had been saying for years, I trust you and I believe you. I believe the merits of Christ. I believe in what you're saying. But I'm not fully seeing exactly what that guy's saying. I want to live in that reality. And you've been in long seasons of whatever you've been through. This is why I like encourage you to trust Him. To take the Word of God that's been planted and don't dig up your seed and when the Lord's told you something that was just so far outside of your ability, when he's given you something that, that you won't take that and just throw it to the wind because pressures and situations came into your life, but you would just hold your ground. That if you've been in the middle of famine or been through struggle like they were in Israel in that day, that you won't let that be your testimony. But you would let the testimony be like this. And if you stand with me this morning, and you, and you would do like a, what, the, what the widow lady did. And, and you would proclaim the promises of God to you and your family. Yes, I'm not going to stand on anything else and believe anything else but what your word says to me. 
I, I've been paying attention to the wrong thing, maybe. The famine's been in the land. Inflation's driving up. I've been looking at the wrong thing. I have a promise. I have a promise of restoration. And I'm not, I'm not backing off for my children. Uh, but, but for, I'm not going to back off because the next generation needs to know. And their generation needs to know. Look what the Lord did when she made a petition to the king. I'll give back to you seven years. Pay her back seven years for everything that wasn't produced. Pay her back. Give back the resources that were lost while she went down to Philistine country to protect her son from death. You think we must know that God makes good on his promises? For the promises of God are sure. They are yes and amen unto the glory of God that is operating in us, that is going through us. You see that? Our inheritance is a function of glory. Our inheritance is a, a function of yes and amen. Our inheritance is a function of promise and oath. There's something inside of me says, I'm not, I've been looking at the wrong thing. Oh, my soul, like, uh, look at the Lord. I marvel at the Lord. My eyes are fixed on the King. man be a liar but your word is true I'll give you perpetuity I'll give you pardon trust me now let the transfer of trust up and down of the heavens and the earth. You're the God of the mountain and the valley. You're the God who's transcended in him. You're the God outside my understanding and the God very present in my time of need. All my hope is in you, Lord. find my greatest delight. I receive your double imputation, Jesus. It's the right of the firstborn. It's the right of the inheritance of the sons and daughters of God. It's our inheritance. You're our inheritance, Lord. Transferring my trust over to you, Lord. 
with you. Light break out, light break out. the frivolous frolicking father <laughs> I say you're frivolous I say that there's always enough in you and there's more than enough when my love gets stopped up in relationships you give me Open me up to love more. When my body feels like that it is just not going to make it, I say you're a healer. When we don't know how we're going to make the next bill, I say you provide. Because I have your word. It trumps everything I see or feel or think. I have your word. it endures forever. Out with you, Assyrian. Out with you, Babylonian. Out with you, Ammonite. Out with you, Moabite. I know who my father is. of our enemy.
instead of a grasper, I'm a giver. Because he made me generous. You're not a grasper, you're a giver. <laughs> shepherd I lack nothing he takes me to lush pastures he leads me to refreshing water he restores my strength he leads me down right paths for the sake of his own reputation and even though I've walked through the darkest valley I fear no danger for you're with me your rod and your staff they reassure me and this morning, you prepare a feast for us in the presence of our enemy. You refresh our head with oil. My cup overflows. Overflow, overflow. Press down, shaking together and overflowing. I'm the son of the Lord. Sons and daughters of the King. You're our inheritance, Lord. You're my inheritance, Lord. We claim our inheritance, Lord. Rush in, Lord. And break in.
I speak freedom over you right now. I declare freedom over your families right now. I declare the freedom of the Lord over you. I declare it from the Lord. You're holy. You're the righteous sons and daughters of the Lord. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. God, God, sons and daughters. You're a royal family. You're a holy priesthood. You're a holy nation. I declare.
make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may you have peace. Amen. It is. 